0: Playing a game with him on Tuesday
1: oh. to saying
0: goodbye to him on Saturday was quite unexpected but wow but the Lord knows and he has he has gone through this whole season of cancer and two rounds of chemo with great humor and great optimism He has constantly directed people back to the Lord we know who's in charge wow. and and now he sees the one who's in charge yes. Wow. So it's a it's a great shock to the to the family that it happened so fast, but um, you know the Lord knows best. So there's one of our songs that we listen to, and it says, "I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've
1: done." So
0: that's what we we cling to in in this time, and and especially pray for families who has been mentioning um, children and grandchildren, and the little grand great grandchildren as well, as they.
1: to terms with what has happened and so as the family makes their makes the transition and we don't know any of the
0: details yet so um but we'll be soon i'll be making a trip back up to alberta sooner than we thought so we'll just keep you posted as that comes along well this has been a month as we've been looking at the beginning of this year 2023 we've been talking a lot about um story and our story and testimony. And so uh, I haven't had a chance to listen to Brian's testimony from last Sunday, but I look forward to that. And so I wanted to look at love's story this morning and then um, Horace is going to be giving his next Sunday. Oh and, uh, so that's something we can we can all look forward to as well. So just wanted to bring this Recognizing that story is something that has always been um, what God has been about. And the whole all of scripture is God's story. And some people refer to history as his story. And so want to look at it in, in that sense today. Nothing new, nothing that we don't know, but just to remind us that story is integral to all our lives. And uh, so, let me read this paragraph, and then let's let's move into John chapter three this morning. Our God is known for His omnis, the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. He is also all love, all joy, all pure, all divine. He exists outside of time, which is His creation, and within which all His creation lives. His master plan has always been to create a people for himself, a people to love, and a people to love him in return. Immediately after the fall, he spoke of his ultimate solution to this intrusion of sin and death into his much-loved creation. The woman's child will crush your head, making reference to Jesus' decisive victory over sin and death on the cross. The love story concludes with our glorious invitation To the wedding supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19. So, from beginning to end, this is the God of love and his story of loving mankind. And he has somehow, in his all knowing, from the beginning, God was able to see and know all that would happen, all that would transpire. And somehow, in his divinity, in his ability of all-knowing and being all-powerful, he he chose not to intervene in a way that would make us incapable of doing anything outside of his will. He chose us to be free agents in that sense, that we would have a free will, that we would be able to, so that we would not only be able to worship him and love him, but we also, on the opposite side, we would also be able to fall away and to be stubborn and to sin. And somehow, which I don't understand, he was able to see all that would transpire and still allow it. And so from Genesis, this, this word to the serpent, because of, because of what you've done, this is what's going to happen. You will bruise the woman's child's heel, but he will crush your head. And so we see that as, as Jesus won the victory at Calvary. So as we look at all the Old Testament and the New Testament, all the way up to our lives, and our waywardness and sinfulness and stubbornness, and I don't want to, and I'll do it my way. God sees all of it, and yet somehow Jesus paid the price for all of that. Sin, past, present, future. He absorbed it into himself, took it to the grave, came back up to liberate us. And so we liberate, we live in this liberated time, this free, free from sin uh, period. So as we look at John chapter 3 this morning, I want to read the first 21 verses because I want us to put it into context what Jesus is saying here. And this is his encounter with Nicodemus. So John chapter 3, verse 21 verses. Now there was a prominent religious leader among the Jews named Nicodemus who was part of the sect called the Pharisees and a member of the Jewish ruling council. One night, he discreetly came to Jesus and said, Master, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one performs the miraculous signs that you do unless God's power is with him. Jesus answered, Nicodemus, listen to this eternal truth. Before a person can perceive God's kingdom realm, they must first experience a rebirth. Nicodemus said, Rebirth? How can a gray-headed man be reborn? It's impossible for a man to go back into the womb a second time and be reborn. Jesus answered, I speak an eternal truth. Unless you are born of water and spirit wind, you will never enter God's kingdom realm. For the natural realm can only give birth to things that are natural. But the spiritual realm gives birth to supernatural life. You shouldn't be amazed by my statement. You must all be, you all must be born from above. For the spirit wind blows as it chooses. You can hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes, came from or where it's going. So it is within the hearts of those who are spirit born. Then Nicodemus replied, But I don't understand. What do you mean? How does this happen? Jesus answered, Nicodemus, aren't you the respected teacher in Israel? And yet you don't understand this revelation? I speak eternal truths about things I know, things I've seen and experienced. And still you don't accept what I reveal. If you're unable to understand and believe what I've told you about the natural realm, what will you do when I begin to unveil the heavenly realm? No man has risen into the heavenly realms except the Son of Man who also exists in heaven. And... Just as Moses in the desert lifted up the brass replica of a snake on a pole for all the people to see and be healed, so the Son of Man is ready to be lifted up, so that those who truly believe in him will not perish, but be given eternal life. For this is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only unique Son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish, but experience eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be its savior and rescue it. So now there is no longer any condemnation for those who believe in him. But the unbeliever already lives under condemnation because they do not believe in the name of God's beloved son. And here is the basis for their judgment. The light of God has come into the world, but the hearts of people love their darkness more than the light because they want the darkness to conceal their evil. So the wicked hate the light and try to hide from it, for their lives are fully exposed in the light. But those who love the truth will come out into the light and welcome its exposure,
1: for the light will reveal that their fruitful works were produced by God. So as Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, this
0: experienced, trusted ruler, this teacher in Israel with with high standing, he's explaining the whole idea of a rebirth, what it's going to take to enter the kingdom, things that have been alluded to throughout the Old Testament as well. And now he's, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in a way that he expects Nicodemus to go, Oh, of course! Now I see it. Yes, I get this. But Nicodemus continually says, "But I don't understand. How, how, how is this going to happen? How can this even be?" And he doesn't.
1: He doesn't see that that Jesus is explaining to him the things that he should have already known. And so the first blank, and I. In, in my confusion and
0: whatever I I written out for myself the one with blanks and they're not <laughs> so I have to remember what it is that I I've, I've written down here but the first 13 verses as Jesus is talking to Nicodemus he's referring to a love that regenerates so that blank is regenerates it's it's a God's love has always been for his people as as we've you know if you look through the Psalms, And there's all kinds of times where the psalmist is, you know, wailing and and regretting all the sorrows and the people who are against him and whatever. He always finishes with praise because he knows that God is really for him, that God will truly never leave him or forsake him. And, you know, the psalm, there are several psalms that, you know, why so downcast, O my soul? But those psalms end with a celebration of God's love and faithfulness, and throughout the the prophecies, especially the prophecies of Isaiah, as in kinship, we've been looking at them, and with all the woes and the you know the sending the people into captivity and all of us all of these things because of their disobedience and their their stiff-necked behavior. God's plan, even with sending them into captivity, was to bring correction and bring them back, to restore them. And because he always refers with great love and tenderness towards Zion, toward his people. So there has never been a moment throughout the Old Testament where God has not tried to communicate his dedication, his love, his passionate jealousy for his people. He doesn't want his people going astray. He doesn't want his people sliding off and, being trapped by other gods and other religions. He wants them for himself. He's created us for himself. And so he is a very jealous God. And there are so many verses, so many passages in Scripture throughout um, that refer to this. And then the New Testament opens up for us with Jesus coming And Jesus is the breaking in of the kingdom with a mission of love for the people. He's come to be the Savior. He's come to be that one that they've longed for all along. And, you know, you remember Jesus saying, greater love is no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends, fully knowing that that's what he's about to do. That's what he's going to do. And he tells tells Nicodemus that the Son of Man is ready to be lifted up. And so, in using that reference about Moses lifting up the snake in in the wilderness so that the people could be healed from the plague, and Jesus is using that Old Testament example, that, that story, to bring reminders to Nicodemus, to this great teacher, that this is God's plan. This is what God is doing. It, made, it makes no sense as we've gone through the whole Advent and Christmas season. It made no sense to the Jews what God was doing and sending a baby and, and all of that that we've come through. But it was all so that there, Jesus as man could relate to us and know what it was like and know how hard it was to, to live and to, to be uh, to be restored. So the love story just continues throughout. There's some some have actually said there's a there's a scarlet thread from Genesis all the way through to Revelation that it's God's intention to show His His great love for His people. Then in verses 14 and 15, as he We've used these, these verses here uh, that people could be healed. So the son of man is ready to be lifted up so that those who truly believe in him will not perish, but be given eternal life. And so this he uses this, this example of Moses in the wilderness. So in the blanket number two, it's a love that also heals. There's healing in that love. And of course, we understand from Scripture, obviously, that Jesus' death and resurrection heals us, heals us from and releases us and restores us away from the bondage of sin and death. And so Jesus is referring here to this love that he's been sent to share with everyone. He is that love, and he's here to to share that love, and he expects that Nicodemus is going to understand. But I think because Nicodemus didn't understand right up the loose, the first 13 verses as Jesus is speaking directly to him, those next verses that Nicodemus is, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, we don't hear any more from him. And he is trying to explain in fuller language. So that's why he pulls that story out for Nicodemus to say, now, if you didn't understand anything, you must remember the story of Moses. And you must remember what happened when he lifted up that, that brass serpent in the wilderness that saved the people and healed them, stopped the plague. And at that point, Maybe Moses was making the connection. Oh, oh, oh yeah, I do remember that. And, and you're saying that the Son of Man is ready to be lifted up in the same way for healing, that there would be this great love. Yeah. And then yeah. verses 16 through 21 is Jesus obviously John 3:16 here. For this is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only unique son as a gift.
1: So now everyone who believes in him will never perish, but experience eternal life. And I'm not sure what that blank is yet. I'll have to go back and look at the notes. You're doing great. Oh, thank you.
0: So, but Jesus is referring to this famous verse. I mean, as children, how many times do we memorize scripture verses? And how many times in Sunday school, in church, or whatever, have we memorized John three sixteen, and how many times have we misunderstood or really not gotten it that the whole story was to expose God's love to us? And how many times, even though we we know this as we believe in Him, there is there is no punishment, there is uh, there is no perishing for those who experience. Everlasting life, which is exactly what Jesus came to do. He was the perfect sacrifice. He perfectly delivered on this love mission on which he was sent. So here we are in this situation of we are, we're the beneficiaries of Jesus' mission, his successful mission to bring life to us. And that's that's what Jesus is referring to here as he continues on and saying about uh, and this part is so misunderstood as well. God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world. Boy, how many times that people misunderstood about, oh, Jesus is all about condemnation and judging. He said, but he sent, it, sent him to be its savior and rescue it. So now, and he said it again, there is no longer any condemnation for those who believe in him. Boy, How many times does the enemy still lie to us and tells us we're under condemnation? And gives us thoughts about condemnation. But he says, there's now no longer any condemnation for those who believe in him. But the unbeliever already lives under condemnation because they do not believe in the name of God's beloved son. And so here's the basis, obviously, of their their judgment. The light of God has now come into the world, but the hearts of people love their darkness more than the light because they want the darkness to conceal their evil. So the wicked hate the light and try to hide from it, where their lives are fully exposed in the light. But those who love the truth will come out into the light and welcome its exposure to the light, will reveal that their fruitful works were produced by God. Hmm. And in John chapter 1, of course, that, that prologue, the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John, it's talking there specifically about He came to be, and Jesus will, in another passage, will say, I am the light of the world. He's he's come into the world to come into the darkness as the light, but the darkness would not receive it. In some passages, it says in John chapter 1. So Jesus is just repeating here the same things that John has written earlier about him. And it's the same today. Jesus is the light, and he's given us that light so that we could also share his light. You know, remember, he says to the disciples, you are the light of the world. You're the salt of the world. And so there's, there's great light. There's great evidence of Jesus' love. He is the one who did exactly what he said he was going to do, that he was going to come. He was going to give his life. His sacrifice was that was the uh, the final sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice to bring light and life to all of us. And of course then in his resurrection there was glorious victory and his coming back is evidence of God's God's intention in sending Jesus was not just that he would die, but that he would die to rise again as proof that he has conquered sin in the grave so there's this great victory here that um that God is is intending to show us so but one of the scripture one of the uh, bible courses that I took in in college was unity of the Bible, just referring back to all the ways Scripture agrees with itself, in spite of the fact that many people do say, oh, well, there are all kinds of contradictions, and this doesn't work because of this. And But there really is no contradiction in the Scriptures. They all agree that and Jesus came and fulfilled all of the promises about the Messiah, and so all that is left now is to see the revelation of his coming back for us. And whenever that's going to be any day now, we are convinced we're living in last days. But the disciples were also convinced they were living in last days. So God is outside of time. So the way he sees time is totally different how we see it. And so we we have our, our days are numbered and uh but God, God's days are not numbered. God is outside of time, and so this is uh, this revelation that is here in John chapter three helps us, I think, to see that what a great continuity there is in Scripture from Genesis through Revelation, and the fact that in Revelation it ends with this amazing invitation to to the bride and we're the bride of christ scripture tells us so it's an invitation for us to come to what to the wedding feast of the lamb in revelation
1: 19. so for for nicodemus i think the i think as jesus continued on i think there was a great understanding that He really is
0: the Messiah. This is really the Messiah that is talking to me. He's explaining these things to me in a way that nobody else but the Messiah could do, pulling the whole story, all of God's story together and saying, Nicodemus, this is it. This is what it is. And Nicodemus didn't get it, and so he pulled from the story of Moses and revealed to him exactly what God's plan was and what Jesus had come to do. So, love story. Love story goes on, and love story is more than um, more than just one act. It's more than just Calvary. It's not. It's more than just the Christmas story of Jesus coming. This is has been since the creation. It's been God's timing, and when that was shown to me that in in Genesis three, this this condemnation of the serpent that. The woman's child will crush your head. And that that was already predicting Jesus' death and victory. That was such an amazing, amazing revelation that God was doing this. And so this morning we have, as we continue with our story, God has always been telling his story. He continues to tell, tell his story. Each of us, as we tell our own individual story, we join in with all those who've gone before us and all who come after us. We, we are part of the continuum that God has planned. And so our stories are important. They're sometimes they're rocky. They're, you know, there are bumps along the way. And, you know, even, even for my brother, who's now with Jesus, his story has lots of bumps. The early years were less than ideal and, um, God broke through probably maybe 30 years ago now and just turned him upside down and inside out and all the wonderful parts of that. And God is continuing to do that over and over again throughout the, as we listen to different broadcasts, we hear people coming to him, being arrested by his love coming to this revelation, sometimes because someone is speaking, sometimes by reading, sometimes when they're asleep, they have this revelation, they wake up and they realize that God has revealed himself in an amazing way. So God's story continues. It will continue until Jesus comes back. And that's the amazing part of our ability to tell our own stories because God's intervention the way he's intervening in our lives has intervened is intervening and will intervene is, oh, yeah. is just such an exciting thing and so we we need to walk in and confess what Jesus said there is now no condemnation yes. for those who believe in Jesus amen you know it's messy it's confusing it's sometimes upside down feeling and we are sometimes anxious about things. But Jesus has promised us, God has promised us through his word that he is the faithful one. He will never leave us or forsake us. And it's a great love story that we've been invited into. It's a great love story that we continue to see God doing and working in our lives. So just want to Pray for us this morning and then just have
1: time to, to share together and pray together as we always do. So Father, we, we come today with, with hearts that are needing reassurance
0: that you are the faithful one, that you are the one who is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And what you've told us is true about our relationship with you, that that would be strong enough to counteract the attacks of the enemy when he comes and tries to condemn, tries to derail our lives. Thank you for all 66 books of this wonderful story of your love for us. Your plan always working out in spite of all of the different wayward thoughts and plans and actions of your people. And even of our own waywardness and our misunderstanding or poor understanding of how much you truly love us. But thank you for gathering
1: us up, adopting us into this amazing family. Thank you that your love never ends. You are love, and you shared your love through your Son, and we are now
0: believing in your Son. Thank you for the wonderful confirmation that is ours in you. And we we bless you for that confirmation, for the joy that is ours, knowing that you died for us.
1: We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.